All right, church, good morning. How's everyone doing? All right, I see you in the lobby. Welcome online. Also in here, guys, it's, we got lots of people here today. I, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle for the parent commissioning, for the child dedication. Listen, just at the beginning, just for a minute, okay, and, and then we'll be done. I, I got to give us kind of a family update, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a church. And so if you're new, though, I think you'll find this interesting. So uh, we are what we always say. We are a new church that believes very old things. So we're like, you know, we're about to be six years old as a church. So like, if we were a human, we'd be going to first grade. Okay, that's how little we are. That's how young we are. And, uh, and so all that we have done by God's grace is we have grown numerically and we've grown spiritually and we've grown organizationally. And guys, we are out of seats. Okay, you're sitting in the smallest legal seat we can put in here, okay? And you know it, you're like, I feel it. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it, we are out of seats, we are out of space. Okay, we're seating the lobby, hello in the lobby. Uh, we are out of services. We have a Saturday night service. We have two Sunday morning services. We have a Sunday night service. We thought about doing a, you know, a 3 a.m. Vampires for Christ service. <laughs> there wasn't a ton of interest. And so it's like, look, we are out, we're not doing any more services. We're, we're not adding any more seats, okay? We are completely out of space, so we went searching. Uh, you, you've heard the story, but just let me, you know, for one minute, let me just kind of update us. What happened was in 2021 after COVID, because we just grew again after COVID, we thought, well, maybe we won't grow after COVID or maybe people won't come back and everyone came back and more people came back. And so we've been growing, and so we ended up finding 12, almost 12 and a half acres in downtown. Okay, it's in, an, I'll show you a picture in a second. It's in an under-resourced and up-and-coming area, which means get ready to minister to the urban trendy and the urban poor and everyone in between, okay? We're gonna do that. And so we found this land, and then, and then because of your generosity, we raised over $4 million in one-time gifts, so that helped fund everything. And then we, we designed it. It's gonna be 50,000 square feet. It's gonna seat like 1,250 people. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna have awesome kids space and it's just gonna be awesome. We're gonna have parking. We're gonna have everything that we need. Uh, but I wanna just show you a picture because we haven't shown you this in a while. Here's actually a picture of our land. That's nine, that's nine and a half acres roughly right there. Okay, let's show one more picture next. Okay, there's a, and now listen, when you pray for our land, I want you to think about John the Baptist going into the wilderness because that basically is the wilderness. Okay, have you seen that? Have you driven by there? My son the other day, he's eight. He said, Dad, when are we gonna cut the grass? I'm like, I wish that's all we had to do. <laughs> There's a lot more. When you think about that property, I want you to think John the Baptist. John the Baptist went into the wilderness. He said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And then he said, here's what needs to happen. Every valley needs to be raised up and every mountain needs to be brought down. And that's how people are gonna see God. Well, that is, that is true spiritually and also on this piece of property, every valley needs to be raised up, okay? And every mountain needs to be brought down. There's a lot of work, okay? Uh, and so here's the good news. At the end of this month, you're gonna start to see machinery, Lord willing, on that property. We're gonna start moving dirt and we're gonna start making away. That's right, that's right. Uh, guys, they're telling us it's a 12 to 14 month project. We are praying, hoping, planning to be in there no later than the weekend after Labor Day 2023, okay? Uh, let me show you the, the, look at that. Look at how close that is right to the center of downtown. God has opened that up for us, unbelievable. Let's show you a picture of the inside of the worship center real quick. Wow. It's, guys, it's going to be so Unbelievable, I can't even explain it to you. And then let's show the outside. Oh, uh, there it is. Okay, guys, we're, we're, that's right along Patterson Avenue. Guys, I, I mean, I, I say this with humble confidence. We are doing something so unbelievably significant. It, you know, as a church, so thank you guys, yes. And I'm just telling you guys that, um, you know, our prayer is for God to prepare you the way. That we don't need, God doesn't need buildings, but God often uses buildings in miraculous ways and buildings are a means to an end. We're calling it a hub and a home for a reason. It's a home because the church is a family and it's a hub because we're missionaries and from there we're gonna go everywhere. And so we're just gonna pray because as, as you move forward you know, in following Christ, you often experience both open doors and opposition. They happen together. They're not mutually exclusive. 
The Apostle Paul would say, hey, there was an open doors, and then there were all, I also had many enemies in that city. And he didn't think of those things as mutually exclusive. So we're just going to take a moment right now, then we're going to dive into James 5, and we're just going to pray. And we're just going to ask God to continue to prepare the way of the Lord and continue to open, us up, open up doors and for us to continue to just lead with vision and be unified. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We just celebrate that you've opened up 12, almost 12 and a half acres in downtown in 2022. And so much of the story, especially of the Old Testament, is you giving people a, a land and a place where they can worship and celebrate you, Lord. And when we look at that building, we see a place where high school and middle schoolers can be discipled and invested in. We see a place where the word of God can be taught for decades. We see a place where kids are gonna learn about Jesus. We, we see a place where people are gonna be coming in those doors and we're gonna be there to meet their felt and their forever needs. And so, Lord, we just ask that you go ahead of us and go behind us. Lord, continue to open up doors and continue to give us courage to walk through them. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, type two, turn to James five. Guys, we have a lot to do this morning. If you're new, we're at the end of a series. And, and here's something that you might find interesting. I don't actually think in terms of sermons or Sundays, and I love sermons and I love Sundays, but I always think in terms of a series, okay? So we've been in this series for, well, today's the 13th week. We've been in this series since the first week of March. And it's, you know, James, I've already told you this, it's James's younger brother, but it, what's interesting is we're going to end the series the same place we began the series because James ends the letter the same place he began it. So how does he begin the letter? You don't have to turn there, but he says something like this. Uh, rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. And that sounds crazy to us. He's basically saying rejoice in suffering. And, and we talked about the different types of trials, right? There's financial trials and there's spiritual trials and there's physical trials and there's relational trials and there's emotional trials. We talked about all that, okay? He said, and then he says, remember in verse five of chapter one, he says, listen, if you need wisdom, because you're going through a trial, you pray to God. And so what he does at the very beginning of this book is he connects suffering and prayer. And what he's going to do now at the end of this book is he's going to connect one more time suffering and prayer. So I'm gonna read it to you guys. I'm gonna read it, it's, it's, it's chapter five, verses 13 to 20. It's seven verses or eight verses, whatever it is. And, and, and in those eight verses, prayer is mentioned at least seven times. So I, let's just not waste any time. Let's just get right to the text and I wanna apply it to our lives together. So, all right, turn with me to chapter five, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? And let me just ask you that. Are you suffering? Right? It's like you, you look at people, sometimes you can see that someone's suffering. A lot of times you can't see that someone's suffering. I can't see your marriage when I look at you. It's like, there's a lot of things I just can't see. I can't see what's going on, on inside of you. I can't see what's going on with you mentally. I, I don't know about your relationships. Is any of you suffering? He says this, let him pray. So we're gonna do that today. Is anyone cheerful? Like, are things going well? Let him sing praise. Which by the way, when you sing, all you're doing is praying. It's a form of prayer, but we do it together with music in the background, but it's prayer when you worship. Is anyone among you sick? That word sick there means so weak you can't stand up. Some of you are dealing with some sickness stuff and we're gonna pray for you today. That's what he says to do, look, he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. 
And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that he, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what prayer is, is, is listen, prayer is practical. If you're a Christian, prayer just makes sense. It's like, well, I love God, and God loves me. And God's my dad, and I'm his son or daughter. And God is good, and, and if I have a need, I can ask him for it. And, and if I have a desire, I can tell him. And God, if God sent his only son and gave his only son for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's what Romans 8 says. So it's practical, but it's also really, really powerful. Like we really believe in the power of prayer. Like when, when, you know, when man works, man works. But when man prays, we believe that God works. But then also we, we see this, and we're gonna get here, is that the Christian faith is meant to be lived out with one another. So it says pray for one another. That's one of 56 one another commands in the Bible. And we want to be a church where we one another one another, if that makes sense. And so what we're gonna do, let me just tell you, let me just give you like a, a 35 minute warning, okay? Uh, what we're gonna do at the end of the service is we're gonna pray for you. And we're gonna ask you, some of you to come forward. And we're not gonna force anyone to come forward. You're gonna see at the end. And we're, but we're just gonna, I'm just preparing you now because we are going to, act, we wanna pray over you. And we wanna put our hand on you and we wanna say, listen, we love you. We're gonna pray with you. We're gonna pray for you. If you're going through something, we're gonna go through it with you. If you've got a burden, we'd like to, we'd like to transfer that burden with you in, in, in prayer. Are you struggling to believe? Well, we're gonna try to believe for you right now. We're gonna do all that today, guys. But I want us to see, I want to root us in scripture because it tells us to do this. Look, first it says, pray for people who are suffering. Do you see this? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So listen, suffering is no respecter of persons, right? This is all like really sobering. And some of you, you visited for the first time. You're like, I'm never coming back. This is a, this is a discouraging, depressing sermon. Um, it, it, and it's, here's why. It's because I'm just being honest about suffering. So the longer you live, these are just, things that are true. The longer you live and the more people that you love, the more you will suffer, right? So all you have to do is live long enough and illness and injury come to you. They do. All you have to do is have enough kids or love enough people or be part of a church. Do you understand that in a church of our size, people are always suffering? And we're a fairly young church with lots of young people, but people are always suffering. In every community group, there's usually one or two couples or one or two individuals, and they are suffering. So it says, okay, now, when you're suffering, he says, we need to pray. Now, look, this is what's interesting. He also says, when you're cheerful, you need to sing. So here's the, here's the good news. Not everybody suffers at the same time. I mean, thank God, right? I mean, could you imagine if everybody in this church was suffering, suffering massively at the same time? We couldn't handle it. We just couldn't. This is why war is so hard on a nation. It's like, we can't, all, we can't all suffer at the same time. It's too much. I need you to be doing well sometimes. And then, when, you know, and, then, and then when you're doing well, you'll help me. And this is the thing about that, and I won't forget that. You help somebody when they're in need, they will never forget it. You're, you're there when they have to go to the hospital, they will never forget that. And they will do that to you. And, and, and the Bible says, are you cheerful? Sing. It's like, listen, if things are going well in your life, you need to realize, you're, if things are going well in your life, you're probably young, okay, first of all. 
Uh, but if things are going well in your life, you just need to remember it's, it, it, it kind of comes upon you. It's like you don't deserve it. You know, it's like, okay, you're healthy. Some of you, right, it's just like you just got married, you just had a kid, you just got a raise, you just bought the house. It's like things are going well, and thank God for that. But what we need to realize is that sometimes you're going to be needy, and sometimes you're going to be needed. That's it. And so the reason that we say go through the weekender and get connected to a community group is so you connect your life, and then, and then real, and nobody wants to be needy, but it happens. Like one day you realize, like, I'm just a needy, like, my spouse left me. It's like, all of a sudden, you're needy. It's like, I, I didn't want that to happen. She left or he left. It's like, you become a needy person. All of a sudden, you get some diagnosis, and this happens. And you didn't do anything wrong, but all of a sudden, you can't work. You know, you didn't make financial decisions that were terrible, and you were working hard, and you just, your industry went under. Or something else corrupt happened that wasn't even connected to you, and you don't have a job anymore, and it's embarrassing. And you go to group one day, or you go to church one day, and you realize, I'm the needy person. And church says, well, that's okay because there's lots of people here who are cheerful. And God has done something. And when, and when God does something in your life, you should just, you should, you should be unbelievably thankful and say, well, maybe I could help other people then. For some reason, my kids are actually following the Lord. I'm not sure why. I mean, yeah, I prayed and yeah, I modeled, but you know, there's other people who did the same thing and their kids aren't. So maybe I could be a blessing to them. And this is what the church does. Now, the problem with us is that when things go well, you tend to forget God and I tend to forget God. So he's saying, listen, when things are going well, thank God for them. We, we call this here giving a testimony, not a biography, right? A biography is all about you. A biography is, isn't this amazing that I you know, built this business and I bought this house and I have this family and, you know, and I'm so healthy or whatever. And a testimony is genuinely about, man, this is genuinely what God has done in me and through me. So the first type of person we're gonna pray for at the end of the service is we're gonna pray for people who are suffering. Second, we're gonna pray for people who are sick. Look at me at uh, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Look, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, so here's the situation. The situation is not that, some, that uh, the elders hear about somebody being sick, and they go visit that person. I mean, that does happen. We've had that happen, where we realize, hey, somebody's sick, somebody's not doing well, and we need to send an elder to them. We'll talk about what, who an elder is in a second, but that, that happens. But what we're hearing in this situation is, imagine this. Somebody is so sick, and I know people like this, and I've, had, and I've been to, gone to hospice and visited people like this. They're so sick where they say, can you please come to me? I can't go to you. And what this is, is this is a picture of, we really ask people to pray for us. I don't know the last time you've really, maybe it was not that long ago. When was the last time you really asked somebody to pray for you? Like really asked somebody. You know what I mean? What, part of the problem with us is we're so unaware of our own spiritual condition. Have you ever had anyone ask how they could pray for you? You're like, uh, 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 uh. And, and what you start thinking about is, do I know anyone or any of my family or friends sick? Or any of my family and friends need surgery? And then you start talking about somebody else because we don't know what's going on in our own soul. I heard a story one time, a guy, he was, he was reading his Bible and he just was getting nothing out of it for weeks. He would get up in the morning, he'd try to read his Bible, he was getting nothing out of it. He said, eventually, he said, in desperation, I got up one morning, I was getting nothing out of my Bible reading. He said, I, I, after I tried for a little bit, he said, I walked back into the master bedroom, my wife was up, she was in bed, and I just said, I have been reading this for weeks and I feel nothing. Would you please pray for me? I, I don't feel anything from God. Would you pray for me? It's like, dude, that's real. 
And so what it's saying here, if you notice this, it's saying that there are people who are sick, and listen to this, and sometimes what they need to do when they're sick is confess their sin. You go, well, what's that about? Let me clarify. We're not saying, one, it's not a sin to be sick. Someone's sick, it's like, dude, I don't know what you did. I don't even know if it's your fault or not. It doesn't matter. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to give you the best medical care, and we're going to do that. What it's saying, though, is that sometimes, not every time, maybe not even most times, but sometimes people are sick because of the sins that they have been a part of. I, I know one pastor that when someone comes to him and maybe they're struggling with depression or maybe, maybe they've got something in their life they want prayer for, they want counseling for, he always asks this question very pastorally and very sensitively, but he says, hey, before, before I pray for you, is there anything that you would like to confess? I mean, could you imagine that? What would, the, what would that do to your heart? You would, be, would you not be scouring your conscience to go, did I do anything? which is a good question to ask. What did you do to potentially contribute to this? It's like, okay, let me give you a kind of a controversial example. What is the difference between guilt and depression? Well, they're different. They are different. But sometimes people don't know. It's like, man, maybe you're depressed because you're unbelie you feel unbelievably guilty because you've gone against your conscience for the last five years. So before we try medication and other things, is there something that you have to confess? It's like, whoa. You've got all these health problems. Would you like, is there something, do you have to confess a love for money? Because maybe you have worked so unbelievably hard and you haven't taken a day off, not just in weeks or months, but in years. And when you break God's law, you break God's heart and you also break your body. So maybe there's something that you need to confess, right? People drink way too much for 30 or 40 years and they have cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, these things really, really happen. People eat unbelievably terrible for 20 years and they have all these health issues. And it's humbling because you realize, man, I had a lot to do with this. People have bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and resentment and they let it kind of sit inside. And you know what they say about bitterness? Bitterness is the acid that consumes the container that holds it. And so you're just like, all, you're like, why am I having all of these you know, health issues? Why am I having all these struggles? It's like, well, maybe there's bitterness and anger and resentfulness. Now, we're not saying that that's the reason for everyone. We're saying that's a place to start. And, and so what he's saying here is he says, okay, is, is anyone sick? He says, call the elders. Now, who are the elders? So we got a lot to explain here, so try to follow me. Uh, the elders are the spiritual leaders of the church, and they are qualified men from the congregation, okay? In our church right now, we have 12 men. We have six more men going through the process. Guys, we're going to have 18 elders. Elder, pastor, overseer, same office. Different words in the Bible to ex explain the same office. And here's what I want you to know. Well, here's what an elder does. So when, when, when we tell them this, when someone becomes an elder, and there's a process, and there's a list of character qualities in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that they have to have, among other things. Um, but we always tell them, hey, when you become an elder, you are now responsible for the church in a way that you weren't beforehand, and you now represent the church in a way that you have not beforehand. So like every Christian here who's a member of our church, we would say, hey, like, you know, you should feel a responsibility for our church. But what we basically mean by that is like the people that you know here. So your serving team and your community group and whoever you interact with, like, I want you to feel a healthy responsibility because you're a member of this body. When you become an elder, it's like, nope, responsible for the whole thing. It's like you're a dad now. You're, you're a dad, and it's a family, and you're, you're one of the dads, and so now you gotta take care of the family. And also, you represent the church. So if somebody's sick, and we're like, somebody's sick, and we wish we could send everybody, we'll send Pastor Stephen. 
Because when we send a pastor, it's like, hey, listen, this person represents our entire church. And he's coming with the authority of our entire church to talk to you and pray with you. And so what we're going to have at the end is we're going to have elders up front here. We'll have the prayer teams on the side. And we're just, they're just going to be here. They don't represent Christ. Okay, Christ is our only mediator. But they do represent the church. And it's a way to say we care for you. Now, now also, it says to anoint with oil. So, so what, what is this? This is oil. I know some of you go, aha, Kyle, are the, is this essential oil? It is not essential oils, okay? Some of you millennials are going, is this avocado oil? It is not avocado oil, okay? Um, it doesn't really matter the type of oil. Um, in fact, I, I heard a story of a, of a mechanic in California, and he was actually known for his you know, prayer ministry. And one of the things that he would do is he, he came to Christ radically, and people would go and you know, get prayed over by him. And so when they would come to his shop, oftentimes if there was a real need, he would take a little motor oil, put it on their foreheads, <laughs> And they loved it, and he would pray over them. Because why? Because it's not about the type of oil. Well, here's what oil means. So, so when um, David is anointed king, let's say that would be one option. This is in 1 Samuel uh, 16 we could go to. Uh, when Daniel's anointed, what, when, what anointing means is it represents the power and presence of God. And whenever God anointed someone, it was, it was God's way to say, I see you, you're special, I have a plan for your life. And so, you know, there's some, some of you are going to come forward tonight and you may say, hey, I just need to be anointed with oil because I, what I'm going through is legit. And I've got lots of questions and I've got lots of struggles and, I just, and it, it would just be our way to say, God sees you, God loves you, we're going to pray for you. I want you to see what, how we should pray. So he says this. He says, okay, so he says, call the elders, anoint with oil. And then if you'll look at me, he says, pray with faith, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it says, how do we pray? We pray with faith. Let me just talk about this very simply. When you pray with faith, you basically say, I don't just believe in God. I mean, everybody believes in God. I mean, basically. I know there's some atheists and there's agnostics. But everybody believes in God. Faith is, I actually believe God. And, and here's the truth. I, I don't know if you know the story of, from the Bible. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus, after he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down. And he comes down that mountain and he goes into this busy area and there's a dad with a son who's struggling. Man, and if you've ever been a dad and your son is struggling or your daughter's struggling, it's hard. And, and this son is struggling a lot. And Jesus, and the guy says, I, you know, Jesus, will you help me? I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus says, yeah, just believe. And the father prays one of the shortest and most honest prayers found in the Bible. He says, I believe, will you please help my unbelief? And I wanna tell you the reason that we're gonna pray together is because some of you may come down here tonight and you may say, or this morning, you may come on down here and you may say, I've been praying about this. And the more I pray about this, the less belief I have and the more unbelief that I'm starting to have about this. And that's where we come alongside of you and we say, well, guess what? I'm gonna believe for you right now. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I, you, you may be struggling to believe, but I just started praying for this. I just heard about this. So I'm gonna trust God for you. We're gonna trust God together. That's the whole idea of faith. So he says, I want, you to, I want you to pray with faith. But then he says, I want you to pray believing. And, and, and he says, because he says, if you look at verse 15, it says, the one who is sick will be healed. It's like, now, does God heal everybody every time on this earth, on this side of eternity? The answer is no, obviously. Jesus doesn't even heal every person that he walked with, okay? God heals three ways. God heals miraculously, God heals medically, and God heals eternally. And we love the stories of God healing miraculously. And if we had time and we don't, I'd ask you to stand. Hey, has, you know, has God done something miraculous in your life? And, and probably 10 or 15 or 20 of you would stand, maybe more. 
hey, it was, you know, there was a spot on the x-ray, and I was all scared. My community group prayed, and we went back, and the spot was gone, and they couldn't explain it. It's like, man, we love miracles like that. Uh, but the, the thing is that miracles, even in Jesus' time, didn't happen that often. In fact, if you read the story of Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda, it says that there were people everywhere that were lame and were suffering. And if you read the story carefully, Jesus walks by all of them to heal one person. It'll mess with you. It's like, well, that's special if you're the one, but what if you're not the one? It's like, you know, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Even in, when he, in his earthly ministry, he did not heal everybody miraculously. Now, how about medically? It's like, that's the second way God heals, and thank God for that. You know, it's like, eh, we have two great hospitals here. You know, there's a saying that says, there were no good old days before anesthesia, uh, penicillin, and modern dentistry, okay? <laughs> None of us lived before those times, but trust me, those were not good days. It's like, we, we take for granted antibiotics and aspirin and Tylenol and non-invasive surgeries and outpatient care. I mean, we take all of it for granted, you know? It, and, and so I just wanna say that many of you are here and you're in the medical community, and we just wanna say thank you. We know that you see yourself as an instrument in God's hand, often to bring healing. So, so God heals miraculously, God heals medically, uh, but then God sometimes heals, or always, if he doesn't heal those two ways, he heals eternally. You know, I, so Tony Evans, he was a famous preacher. His wife died after you know, being ill for a long time. And at her funeral, her son got up and he said, you know, we were praying for mom and we were praying that either she would be healed or she would be healed. <laughs> he said, we were praying that she'd either be with family or that she would be with family. It was just, is she gonna be with us as family or is she gonna be with, with grandma and grandpa's family? We were, that's what we were praying for. Now, listen, I mean, it, it, it's hard because, you know, I, here's a story. When I was at FBC Durham, great church, we, uh, we had one of our elders, and I, I hope this stuff doesn't happen in our church, but suffering is no respecter of persons. And this elder was in his 50s, and he got, like, basically brain cancer or brain tumor of some kind. And it's the kind, it's like the word is so long, the only people who can say it are the people who've had it and the guy who works on it for a living. Those are the only people who can pronounce this type of cancer. And the diagnosis was so terrible that when our senior pastor read it, he was an MIT grad, he just cried. He, when he read about it, because he just knew this guy's done. And it was like stage three, it was stage four. And, we, and it was hard because when, you know, an elder died, he represented the whole church, we had this massive funeral for him. And I remember Andy Davis, my former pastor, he got up and he said a version of this. He said, um, whenever a believer dies, it's never sad for them it's only sad for us, right? I mean, nobody wants to come back from heaven to hear. <laughs> but it's always sad for us. I, I, was, I heard an interview with a, a guy in his 40s. He had stage four pancreatic cancer. He, was, he was, had a few weeks left to live. He had three young kids. And he said, you know, he said, when I cry in the shower, imagine that. He said, I don't wanna cry. I don't want my kids to see me cry. He said, but when I cry in the shower, I cry, and he said, my thought is not, I won't. He said, my thought is, they won't. He said, I've lived enough life. It's not, I'm not worried about, it's that my, there are things my kids aren't going to experience when I'm gone that they would experience if I was here. This is why we want to see God heal. This is why we pray for these things, because it's so painful when they leave and they go to heaven. It's painful for us, not for them. But all healing is temporary, right? It's like, man, you heal someone, and then it's like, I had a, I had a doctor, at our, uh, another elder who was a doctor at a different church, and he told me, he said, he was an ear, nose, throat doctor. He said, whenever I heal somebody, God uses me. He said, all I'm doing is delaying the inevitable. 
They're still going to die eventually. I may have just given them another 20 years. All healing on this side of eternity is temporary. So he says, here's what you do. He says, you pray with faith, um, but then he says, you pray confessing. Do you see this? Look, therefore confess, this is verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So it's talking about the importance of confession, right? Confession is necessary for your soul. We need to confess our sins, guys. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the website Post Secret. You can look that up sometime. It's not a Christian website. But it's a website under which people go on and they confess their sins. Why? Because they need to get it off their chest. They need to tell somebody. I mean, is it, do you remember Oprah? You know, I know she's still alive, but Oprah was the high priestess of our nation for a while. Do you remember that? And she had the big talk show host. And as the high priestess of our nation, people would come on, and she was the modern-day confessional booth, and they would confess their sins. Do you remember that? Lance Armstrong came on. Very famous moment in history. Lance, did you use drugs? I did. I forgive you. That's really what it was. And the nation forgives you. Because we need to confess, right? I told you before, I'm a recovering Catholic, okay? The, the, the Catholic Church, they, they have the, you know, when you're in second grade, you have to do your first holy confession. There's first holy communion, and then you go for confession. And you, you go, and I remember this, you have to decide, are you going to go to the priest face-to-face? Are you going to go through a veil um, or through a kind of a... a door area, and, and I went face to face, and I remember the reality of having to confess your sins to somebody else. Well, here's what confession means. Confession just means I agree with God. That's what it means. Confession means to say the same thing. Now, when it comes to sin in our lives, we have three options, right? If you're a rebellious person, so think Trade Street in our city, okay? That's rebellion, most of Trade Street. Um, if you're rebellious, what you do is you celebrate sin. This is how many girls I slept with. This is how many beers I drank. This is how I cheated on my taxes. Uh, this is extreme things like shout your abortion and celebrate your divorce movements that have come around. It's let me celebrate my sin. Maybe you've heard of what's going on this month, Pride Month, which is a month-long celebration of sin. So there's celebrate, and then there's cover. Cover is what religious people struggle with. Cover is fake you. Cover is pretending and performing. Covering it is acting like everything's okay when it's not. And this is why in religious environments, a lot of times there will be gross sin that is, un, that is revealed after a long time. And you're like, she was doing that for four years and no one knew it? It's like, yeah, because we have a cover culture, not a confession culture. And we have a live double lives. So you have a home life and a work life and a vacation life and a family life and a your spouse is gone life and a weekend life and a community group life. And it's covering. Or you can confess and come clean. And there's power in confession. I heard the story of a pastor. This was not in our church. But a story of a pastor, and he, I guess this can happen, and it was awkward for him, you can imagine. But he, he's, he's, he's a married pastor, and he says he starts to be attracted to a woman in his church that's not his wife. Now, he didn't, no emotional affair, he didn't do anything. He just, he's like, I'm starting to notice this woman. I don't like that I'm noticing her, but like I am. I'm starting to think about her. I'm starting to notice her when I preach, he said. And he's, you could imagine how scary that would be to maybe just tell somebody that and how awkward you might feel to tell somebody that. And he said he had to call one of his good friends and he just said, hey man, I need, this is, I've not done anything, but I need to tell you that there's a woman in my church and I'm attracted to her. He said, as soon as I said it out loud, it broke. Have you ever had something like that happen? It's like I just brought it into the light and I let one more person look at it with me. 
and I said it out loud. Now listen, the reason that, you wanna know why you don't confess your sin. Forget about even other people. If you wanna know why you don't confess your sin, even to God alone, imagine you're, you know, you go into your room and you get on your knees, no one's home, you unplug Alexa just to make sure, right? <laughs> you turn your phone off, whatever. It's literally just you and God and you get on your knees. Why don't you confess your sin? I think the reason is, is because you don't wanna hear it. God knows it. It's like, you don't wanna hear it. What wife wants to get down on her knees and say, I am a horrible wife? I yell at my husband. What guy wants to get down on his knees and go, dude, I got a problem, God. It's just you and me here, but I drink too much. It's like, even if you only hear it, it's like, you don't even wanna hear yourself say that. Because then what would you do with that? It's like, this is why we need to confess our sins to God and then confess our sins to one or two trusted people. We believe here in privacy, not secrecy. So you want, you want somebody that you can trust and then you don't wanna overshare, right? You don't wanna share in such a way that's gonna cause them to struggle. Could you imagine, hey man, I'm really struggling with gambling and the best gambling website is www. You're like, no, I don't struggle with gambling and I don't need to know about that website. Or maybe I do struggle with gambling, so I don't wanna know about that website. So he's saying there's, there is power, there's power in confessing our sins. There's, if I could simplify it and summarize it, before you ask God what you want done, tell him what you have done. And then he says, pray fervently. So we pray with faith, pray fervently. Let's look at this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently. Literally, that means he prayed with prayer. It's emphasizing it, okay? It's, it's the idea of passion and persistence, which is a lot of Jesus' parables were about praying passionately and persistently. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What he's telling us here is that when it comes to prayer, sometimes we just need an encouragement, and we just need examples. Do you ever feel like that? You're like, I want to pray more. I want to pray better. I want to pray more faithfully, but like, who do I look to? Well, he's pointing to Elijah, and he says, Elijah's a lot like you. He's like, well, Elijah's not like you in some sense, right? It's like, well, yeah, he's a prophet, and he played a unique role in redemptive history, and he was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, and you know, uh, he, yes, there were some unbelievably unique things about him, but he's more like you than not like you, is what he's trying to say. He's got a human nature like yours. And, and so what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna read you a quote from John Patton's father about prayer, or sorry, from John Patton about his father on prayer. John Patton was a missionary to cannibals. Now think about what type of person you have to be. Not just to be a missionary, but to be a missionary back then, that's when there's no FaceTime and no Facebook and, you're, and you bring, you know, the old missionaries pack their coffins with them. They're not coming home ever. So imagine you're, you're, you know, you pack your coffin, you're going to an island and you're gonna minister to cannibals. That's who you minister to. John Patton, God bless him, he had this little dog he brought with him. I mean, it's a great story, you should read it sometime. But later in his life, people asked him, well, how do you become a type of person that's willing to do that? He ended up leading the tribe to Christ, powerful stories. Anyway, he said to my dad, it was my dad's influence on me. And in his, I believe it was his 60s or 70s, he writes a book, uh, an autobiography on his life and on his mission. And in there, this is what he says about his dad's prayer life. Imagine this. He says, though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of my memory, were blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet 
and hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal, my dad walked with God, why may not I? How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And he prayed for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Wow. He's 70, remembering the prayers of his dad from when he was a little boy. And he said, that's how I got to know God. I got to know God by hearing my dad talk to him. And I said, my dad walked with God. Why should not I? So he says, pray passionately. He says, pray with honesty. That's what confession is. Pray with faith, believe. And then look, he ends with, with a care for lost people. Here's what he says. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders, it means to drift. It means to go astray. If any of you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, and let me ask you, could that be you? Could you be somebody who brings somebody else back? He's gonna say it twice, look. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. COVID has been a hard season for two and a half years. I mean, we're basically out of it, but some people still aren't out of it, but you know what I'm saying. It, you know, it, but it's like, it's been a hard last two years, okay? And I think during that, lots of Christians have wondered. They've wondered from the church. They've wondered from community. They wonder, when you wonder what happens, you end up in a lot of places you should have never been. And, and here's, here's what happens. At Christians, this is, he's telling us in the first century that Christians could wonder, that Christians could stray, that Christians could deconstruct their faith. It's not a new idea. And what he's saying is that we need to pray for them and we need to pursue those people. Now, who, why do people wonder? Well, here's what happens. At every fork in the road, you have to decide, are you going to follow Jesus? You know, it's like every parent prays for their kid. It's like, man, okay, they're going into college. I pray, Lord, that, that, that everything we taught them, that, that, that they would make a decision to follow Christ in college, right? And then every parent after college is like, okay, they got a job and they're living in a big city. Lord, please. And then they start dating someone. You're like, okay, maybe, maybe okay, I, I pray, Lord, that you would use this relationship. And I pray that they won't date a non-Christian. And they have kids and we just, we pray that. Now, people wonder all the time. Why do people wonder? They wonder because they get in a romantic relationship. Have you ever seen that? Right? And I understand that because as people get older, sometimes they get desperate. And it goes from I want a Christian guy to I want, a, I want a guy who goes to church to I want a guy who believes in God to I want a guy who used to believe in God. That's kind of how that works. And people begin to wonder. People begin to wonder because they don't have a Christian community. How do you want? You're, gonna, you're more likely to wonder if you're walking alone. And the whole idea is, listen, people are the mission and we're not giving up on people. And each of you could probably think of one person right now who is far from God and close to you. And they're not here. And the question is, are you going to give up on them? I, I think sometimes, I'll tell you this, I, there was a family member of mine and I was hanging out with him one night. This was years ago. And, uh, and I had had lots of spiritual conversations with him and, and he, and after we've been hanging out for an hour or two, he looks at me and he says, he says, Kyle, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. He said, why don't you talk to me about spiritual things anymore? And then he said this, have you given up on me? 
this whole time I thought he didn't, he didn't want me anymore to talk about it anymore. I didn't realize he thought, oh, man, you, you're giving up on me? Who would say that to you? Would someone say, Dad, is that all I have to do, Dad? I have to have a little different sexual lifestyle and you're going to give up on me? I have to date a non-Christian and you're going to give up on me? I don't want to come to church with you and you're going to give up on me? We're not going to give up on people. There's some of you who you need prayer for because, look, you, you, it's, you know, it's one of your kids astray. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for him or her. Guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call the elders down here in just a few minutes, and there's nothing special in the oil, okay? It's just no, normal oil. There's nothing, nothing special in these guys. I mean, they're, they're godly men who represent the church, and they're going to pray for you. But there's nothing special in them. But we, we believe there is something powerful. Listen, the church is the body of Christ on earth. And so, look, I am not a faith healer, obviously. I am a Bible teacher, and I am a pastor. And all I'm trying to do as we close this series is I'm actually just trying to do what the Bible says to do. And I want to tell you this, and I want you to listen to me. The Bible says if you are suffering, if you are stuck, if you are sick, if you have something going on in your life, the Bible says here's what you don't do. You don't fake it. Fake you is doing fine. You stop pretending and you stop performing and you say, can somebody please pray for you? Pray for me. And the answer is we're gonna pray for you. And some of you are suffering, okay? And I know what it's like on Parent Commissioning Sunday and I know what it's like on Mother's Day and I know what it's like on Father's Day. You know what people are reminded of? That they can't have kids. And if you are here today and you would say, I cannot, I don't know why, I can't get pregnant and I can't stay pregnant, we want you to come forward and we wanna pray for you. And we don't understand it either. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a godly woman and my husband's a godly man and all we would like to do is have kids. And we would like to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's like, okay, we're gonna pray for that. There's some of you and we need to pray for your marriages. Maybe your spouse isn't even here and you just need to come forward. Maybe you're here together and you both need to just come forward because marriage is hard. And some of you, you read the book on communication and it didn't work. Right? It's like, well, because obviously, because there's deep strongholds in certain marriages. Because we're not playing games, because all of this is spiritual. And some of you have worn out a few counselors. <laughs> you know? It's like, and you just thought you were about to give up. And it's like, listen, maybe Jesus needs to get into your marriage some more. Maybe we need to pray over a couple areas. Maybe we, we need to see breakthrough. That's what we're going to pray for. Some of you are just, you just feel stuck. You're, you don't like, you, you have what we call dream death. And it happens to people, and it happens to people as they get older. People get older, and then they say, oh, gosh, I don't think this is ever going to change. I'm never going to be healthy again. Am I always going to be single? I don't want to be single. It's like, okay, well, get up here. We're going to pray over you. It's like, man, some of you, you're, you've got, you're, you're not sick in the body. You're sick in the soul. You've got bitterness, and you've got resentfulness, and you've got anger, and you've got unforgiveness, and you're like, I don't know what to do with all of this. You're like, I'm trying to forgive this person, but it's really, really hard. It's like, well, we're gonna come alongside you and we're gonna pray for you. Listen, I know many of you, you, you're broken over your prodigal sons and over your prodigal daughters and you don't understand it and it breaks your heart and you, and you beat yourself up about it all the time. You're like, why did we send them to that school? I shouldn't have done that, you know? And then you beat yourself, we should have been around a little bit more. It's like, that's not helpful for anybody. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna pray. We're gonna pray, Lord. I just, I just prayed with someone, you know, there was a guy in the parking lot. After the five o'clock last night, he said, dude, I had to work the parking lot. 
He said, can you pray for me? I wanted to go forward, but I have to work in the parking lot. I said, what's going on? He said, three of my kids are doing well, one's not. And we said, let's pray. I had another guy, he pulled me aside out there afterwards. He said, hey, I had to get out here. He said, I got a biopsy and I'm really scared. I said, well, let's pray. I want the elders to come forward. We're gonna pray for you guys. This is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna trust God. We're gonna, we're gonna confess our sins together. We're gonna pray. We're gonna believe. We're gonna, we're gonna sing God Really Loves You. It's a song where it tells us two things in the song. It says, God loves you. And it says, you're not alone. And that's why we pray. It's like, listen, you're not alone. I'm gonna believe with you. We're gonna walk with this together. We're gonna pray for people who are, who are far from God and close to us. We're gonna, we're gonna be a church. This is, this is, we want to respond to God's word. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray at the end of my, or I'm gonna ask you to stand in just a minute, then I'm gonna pray for you, and then we're gonna sing together. Let's stand. Well, we lift up just, man, the men and women in our church who are just struggling. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, there's some people here who they just need to come forward for somebody else. They need to come forward for a friend or for a family member or for a spouse or for a child or for a neighbor. They just need to come forward and get prayer, Lord. The, the prayer of a righteous man is effective as it works, Lord. We pray that you would work powerfully, Lord. Lord, make us a people of prayer, Lord. Let us see breakthrough, Lord, for, for your glory and for our good, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.